a pleasure to have each and every one of you with us this morning. My name is Pastor Tim, and it's my great privilege to open up God's Word. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. If you don't have a physical copy of God's Word uh, with you, you can uh, look at the QR code up on the screen, grab your phone, snag a picture of that, and that'll take you right to Daniel uh, chapter 6, where you can follow along with where we are at. We have been in a series out of this book that was written 600 years before the coming of Jesus Christ, written by Daniel in a time and a place where God's people were in exile, God's people were enslaved, God's people... Uh, because of God's judgment, we're in a place of a foreign land, having to pursue uh, life in a way that was very, very different than living life in their homeland. And because of it, they were challenged in their faith to live out their faith amidst the pagan practices that were going on in the world around them. And we have seen in these six chapters how Daniel and some of his friends have lived faithfully amidst the fray. That is that they have stood the test of time. They have stood when they've been in the minority. They have been faithful to their God even though uh, the world they lived in worshiped a multitude of gods and they had done so all the while while they were under pressure and great fear. And they proved to us and they showed to us that we can live the Christian life, we can live a faithful life amidst the difficulties that life brings our way. And this morning is no different. In Daniel chapter six, we come to what is one of the most beloved and most well-known of stories in the Old Testament. Daniel in the lion's den. And it goes like this, and we'll read it in a moment, but just to give you kind of a broad view of what's going on, Daniel has proven himself over many years. He's an old man now. And he has proven since being a teenager that he's a faithful man, not only to God, but the people he serves. And because of that, he has been elevated in different kingdoms, under different kings, to higher places of authority. And now he finds himself under a new king. If you remember last week, we saw the demise of the Babylonian Empire, stationed in what is now modern-day Iraq. And we know that the king at the time had thrown a great feast, and he had done so at a peculiar moment when his capital city was under siege by an invading army from the Medio Persian Empire. Why would a king throw a party? The reason why is he has great trust and great uh, reliance on his defense. Babylon and its capital city were defended by a 90-foot wall and a moat around the city. The moat was about 50 feet deep. It would be impossible for an invading army to cross that moat and then find a way in 50-foot water to put up ladders to rise up to the 90-feet heights that they would need to to go over the bridge. Well, during that party, while they're living it up, they're drinking and all manner of debauchery is taking place, God shows up in a very unique way at the party. He shows up in the form of a human hand. And the human hand writes on the wall and tells the king and the Babylonians that their time of ruling the world is over. In fact, the days of the king are numbered. In fact, that night, the king is going to lose his life. And the kingdom that he had, this Babylonian empire that had uh, ruled the world for now almost six decades was coming crashing down. How? The Medo-Persians were smarter than the Babylonians. They dammed up the moat. 
They walked on dry land and they dug underneath the wall and they walked in unharmed. The only person that we know of in human record, secularly and biblically, is the king. The king loses his life and the Medo-Persian Empire takes over very much like what Daniel had prophesied would take place. Now, Darius, who is the general of the king of uh, Persia, Cyrus is the king's name, Darius is the general, he holds this provincial government for about 12 to 15 months. And his job is to establish uh, the kingdom until the king, the real king, can show up. And as he does, we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel is elevated to a place of presidency, kind of like the Supreme Court. They had three presidents, Daniel's one of them, who served under this general, this King Darius. And then there was 120 governors, satraps they're called in the Bible, governors who ruled, if you will, the provinces of this land and empire that was once Babylon. Uh, These guys don't like that an exile, a slave like Daniel's in charge. And so they conspire a plan against him. So they look at his work life and they find out he is such a good worker, such a good employee to the king and to the empire that they can't go that route. And so they say, well, we can go against his religion. And they put together this plan that the king has to sign off on. And so they scheme and they bring a proposal to the king and the king signs off that for 30 days, no prayers should be prayed except to the king. Now that sounds weird, but I want you to know that it's really no different than us standing and pledging allegiance to the flag or or us standing when the national anthem is played. This was a sign of unity. Uh, For one month, not forever, you're gonna lay down all of your gods and you're going to pray only to King Darius. And that's the plan. Well, they know that Daniel won't do that, that Daniel's faithful to his God, and so they've got Daniel. And they go and they watch Daniel as those 30 days begin, and just as he had done before, Daniel's praying. And he's praying three times a day, and he's praying to his God, and they go, we got him. And they go to the king and they say, Daniel, that exile, that, that guy, he's a traitor to you. And the king had said, if anybody doesn't live according to this new law, they'd be cast into a, a den of lions where they would be destroyed. There was a death sentence to this law. And they come and they say to the king, listen, this guy that works under you pays no uh, attention to your laws. He does his own thing. And we bring Daniel to you, of course, as we'll read in a moment, the king is saddened to hear this because he loves Daniel. But a law is a law, and he brings Daniel to throw Daniel into the lion's den. For one evening, the king laments, the king fasts, the king is worried about Daniel. And he's got this idea, this thought, that maybe God, the God of Daniel might be all that Daniel says he is. And so there's a little hope that maybe Daniel's still alive. And at daybreak, the king runs to the lion's den and he calls down to Daniel. And Daniel announces, I'm here. The lions have done me no harm. My God has protected me. And those that were involved in this treacherous act, the king kills in a horrific way, throws them into the lion's den, and then all of a sudden, the lions are hungry, and he elevates, the king does, the king uh, elevates the God of Daniel 
to be one that should be worshiped and praised. Now, what are we to do with all of this? First of all, we need to recognize that this is once again a reminder for us as believers that we are to remain faithful even in the most difficult of times. Our faith is not a fair weather faith. Our faith isn't when the team is doing well. Our faith is whether we feel like we're in first place or last place, we stay true to God. And Daniel's a reminder of that. But let's remember that the Bible's full of these individuals, the apostles, those that followed Jesus, the disciples. They all would go to their grave having faith in God and believing in God against horrific measures brought against them. But as we move out of the biblical realm and into human history, we could create a Mount Rushmore of individuals who lived out their faith amidst the fray. People like in the ancient world, Polycarp. Polycarp lived about 100 years after uh, Jesus, and his faith was known. He lived to be 86 years of age. He was a disciple of the apostle John, and he loved Jesus, and he was so faithful to Jesus, but the Roman Empire had decreed a law that Caesar was to be announced as God. Caesar is Lord. And if the Romans said, you're gonna announce that Caesar is Lord, you would do it or you would die. Well, Polycarp said, there's no way I'm going to do it, and he was brought into the Colosseum, he was posted to a post, he was wrapped up to a post, and. A fire was set, but before it was to burn this man alive, the soldiers pleaded with Polycarp, you're, you're an old man, just whisper to us that Caesar is Lord and we'll let you live. And he said, 86 years I followed Jesus and he has done me no wrong, why would I give up on him now? And he was burned at the stake. I think of William Tyndale. For you that are holding your Bible, whether on your phone or in uh, your hand, if you're able to read it in English, it is because of William Tyndale. William Tyndale, about 1,500 years after uh, Jesus Christ, had a burden that the people would be able to read the Bible. His English brethren would be able to read the Bible in English. Well, the Roman Catholic Church really struggled with that. They wanted the Bible to remain in Latin, and so there was this push that this would change Christianity altogether. But William Tyndale said there's nothing better than for God's people to have God's word. And he translated uh, the Bible into English and he would lose his life as a result. A little sooner uh, in our past history is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor in Nazi Germany. He was the most listened to individual on the radio bar one, Adolf Hitler. And he used his time and his sermons to preach against the evils of Nazi Germany and it would cost him his life. And then finally, most closely to our day is a woman named Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth met her husband Jim at nearby Wheaton College and they believed God was calling them uh, to the mission field, to South America where they would go to an unreached people group called the Aka Indians. The Aka Indians were known as a hostile tribe, warring against other tribes around them. But these people fell in love with the Aka Indians. And Jim and his wife Elizabeth and some friends went and they began to make contact to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the Aka Indians. And when the men made their first human contact with the Akas, they were killed. 
Elizabeth would lose her husband. These wives would become widows of this very hostile group of people. And you would have thought Elizabeth and the wives would have said, you know what, they killed our husbands. We've done our duty, we're gonna go home. But they had a faith amidst the fray, faith amidst the fire. Elizabeth made a decision to go back to the Aka Indians, to go to the very people that killed her husband and his friends. And she preached the gospel and converted them to Jesus. If there was a Mount Rushmore, some of these individuals would be on it, but surely Daniel would be one of them, living out his faith. And I'm here to ask you this morning, as a follower of Jesus, will you do whatever it takes to follow Jesus no matter the cost? No matter what they put against you, no matter what they throw at you, will you say, I am a follower of Jesus no matter what? This is what Daniel chapter six is all about. A man who loves God more than life itself. And we see that kind of life modeled. And so let's look at the text this morning. Daniel chapter six, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished among all other presidents and satraps because of an excellent spirit that was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. They're buttering up the king. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed, which is a lie, because Daniel is one of the presidents and he's not in agreement with this. So they're lying to the king that the king shall make and establish an ordinance, enforce an injunction, that whoever makes petition, that is praise to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked, therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Let's stop there. The first thing that we need to see this morning, if we're gonna live out a faith like Daniel, is we need to recognize that that kind of faith means or involves overcoming pressure and fear. Overcoming pressure and fear. Daniel's world was already a turbulent one. And now a new administration is in place. Now a new nation is in charge. But what he's gonna learn is the new boss is just like the old boss. Daniel has lived this out under another king. And he recognizes and knows that to be faithful means you are at times going to live in opposition to the world around you. Now, let's see what happens. 
I want you to notice, first of all, that what we have here, quite simply, is office politics. We have a group of co-workers of Daniel who isn't happy that this foreigner, this slave, this nobody has been elevated to the second in command. He has risen in the corporate ladder and there's jealousy. Now let's just do a quick poll this morning. At your school or at your workplace, is there jealousy when someone gets something that others don't? Can I see a show of hands? That happens, right? Jealousy is ripe in our workplaces. Someone gets a promotion, someone gets a raise, someone gets accolades from the boss or the teacher, and and it's not like the rest of us sit there and say, wow, it's great to have them in the classroom. Wow, that's great to have them in our workplace. No, for us, humanly, it is far easier for us to become envious or jealous of what is happening in that person's life. This is what we've got going on. Daniel is experiencing jealousy by his co-workers. He's experiencing their envy and jealousy. Second, I want you to see that this involves his faith. They know and recognize one of the reasons why they're not happy with him is he's not like them. He doesn't worship their gods. He doesn't involve themselves in their activities. He is different. He is distinguished, the text says, from all others. And probably most namely, this comes as a result of his faith. And so we've got these things working out. So what do we do with this? How do we go about living in a world where we need to overcome worldly pressures and fear? And let's just stop for a moment and recognize that some of that pressure is starting to hit us. For those that live and work in the public sector, for those especially in the corporate world, some of that pressure about our faith is starting to uh, show up in our lives. Gone are the days where you being a follower of Jesus is an altogether good thing. And maybe some are being and feeling their coworkers using against us. So how are we to respond? Let me give you a couple things. First of all, we need to recognize what Daniel recognized, and that is people are watching. People are watching. People are watching you. They're watching your manner of life. They're watching how you live life. Your boss is watching you. Your coworkers are watching you. Your teachers are watching you. Your students, your fellow students are watching you. Your neighbors are watching you. Your community is watching you. And they're asking the question, what makes you tick? What are your goals and aspirations? How do you live? Now, when you put on the moniker, when you put on the label Christian, now you're under even greater scrutiny because now you're saying, I live like Jesus, in, in essence, word, but do I live like Jesus indeed? Notice that they're gonna say of Daniel, we can't find anything wrong with him except if we go to his faith. That is, if we trip him up because of his religion. Notice number two, if Daniel is so righteous, and by the way, Ezekiel, in his uh, book in the Bible, it says there were three more righteous men than all others. They say Moses, Job, and Daniel. And if 
Daniel and Job and Moses, but let's focus in on Daniel. If Daniel had problems in this world, even though he was righteous, surely we should recognize this morning that we will have issues in this world. Jesus said that in this world, my friends, you will have trouble. We're gonna have trouble just because we're followers of Jesus doesn't exempt us from having troubles in this world. The next thing I want you to see within this is that we need to recognize and know that because we are living and doing life in a secular world, we must devote ourselves to living upright and holy lives. It's as if Peter in the New Testament was speaking about Daniel chapter six when he says in 1 Peter chapter two the following, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. What was Daniel? A sojourner and an exile. He says, I want you to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now notice what he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Who are the Medes, who are the Persians? They're the Gentiles. You need to keep your conduct honorable so that though they speak against you as evildoers, what was happening Daniel 6? They were speaking of Daniel as an evildoer. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Our job as Christians is to live such upright lives that it's difficult for the evil world around us to do us harm, to speak badly of us. Now, you might be sitting there and you might be saying this morning, I'm Daniel. I'm Daniel in my workplace. I'm feeling it. There's pressure. I'm a Christian, and my boss is asking me to do things, or coworkers are conspiring against me. I'm Daniel. I'm Daniel. I'm Daniel. Well, could it be that you're not Daniel at all? Could it be that the reason why you're feeling pressure is you're a lousy employee? That you show up to work late? That you don't get along and play well with others? that you don't do the work that you're called to do, and maybe the pressure you're feeling is a godly pressure for you to do better in your workplace and to serve your employer as unto the Lord, the book of Colossians says. Could it be this morning that the pressure you're feeling is because you're just a lousy employee? Well, if that's the case, change. Be better. Now, we do need to know and recognize that our faith can create problems, can create problems in our life and in our workplaces. Jesus said this to his disciples in John 15 when he says the following, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, he goes on, he says, because I chose you out of this world, the world is gonna hate you. Your faith at times will put you at a disadvantage in your workplace, in school, in relationships, in the community, and it will be because people aren't fans of Jesus nor of his followers. And so we need to recognize that what Daniel is experiencing is altogether a real experience. Now here's the crazy thing. Notice the lengths by which people will go. This is truly an indication of the heart of human beings. The heart is deceitfully sick, the Bible says. Who can understand it? Here's a group of 120-some-odd people who conspire for days to kill a man in his 80s. That's how much they hate him. Now, it's not they just want to bring him down professionally. They want to bring him down permanently. They want to throw him to the lions. How much do you have to hate a person to want to see that person uh, ripped limb from limb by ravenous lions 
in a pit. This is what they're looking for. This is what they want. And this brings us to my second point this morning. It has to beg the question, well, how are we to live in the midst of that? And maybe you're not there this morning in your world, but that means all the more that you should be doing what Daniel did, and that is Daniel lived productively and faithfully. He lived productively and faithfully. Notice in the text three things that I'll bring out to your attention here that Daniel lived out well. He lived out vocationally, he lived out his faith emotionally, and he lived out his faith spiritually. Vocationally, that is on his job, emotionally, how he, he himself dealt with the trials and tribulations that came, and then spiritually. Now remember, Daniel's an old man. He has been serving in various king, under various kings for at least the last 60 years. And now he's an aged man, and he is having to figure out how to serve and honor God late in his life. And notice what Daniel chapter six says in verse three. He's distinguished. He's distinguished, that is he was preferred, he excelled, his abilities, his integrity. He served his boss well. Notice in verse two it says that the king would suffer no loss. This was an employee that wanted to make sure that the king looked good, that the king had whatever he needed, that the king was never at a deficit because he served the king so well. Notice next what we see of the king, I'm sorry, of Daniel with regards to the king, that he brought to work the spirit of God. He brought to his workplace the spirit of God. Notice in the text it says in verse three that an excellent spirit was in him. And that spirit was the spirit of almighty God. He didn't leave God in his church. He didn't leave God at his home. He took God into the cubicle. He took God into the classroom. He took God into the workplace. He took God to the water cooler. He took God to every facet of his life, including his work life. Can that be said of us today? Is our relationship with Jesus Christ, does it begin here at the third service and end as we leave the parking lot? Or are we taking our God and his Christ to the workplace that God has placed us in? Could it be this morning that God has you uniquely where you're at so that you might be a Daniel in the place you work or the place you go to school? So Daniel's doing this. Now notice, we see that he is vocationally a man who is full of integrity. He does all things well. He's above reproach in every way. So what happens to the guy? What happens to Daniel? Let's pick up in Daniel chapter six, verse 10. Now Daniel hears that the document had been signed, the laws in order, and what does he do? He goes to his house where he had the windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. If you underline in your Bible, underline there that he had done previously. Nothing changed. The law changed. His circumstances changed. A trial had come to his life, but now nothing has changed spiritually. And here's why. Because his faith, 
His faith was able to hold his emotions in place. A new law going against you, a law written precisely for you, and he doesn't throw up his arms and say, I'm a victim. He doesn't throw up his arms and say, God, I've served you all these years and this is what you do. He doesn't say, oh, my neighbors, they've got it made, but I get all the difficulties. These are humanly speaking the things we say. When he finds out that he's gonna be thrown into the lion's den, he doesn't make a scene. When he knows his death is impending, he's calm and silent. Brothers and sisters, you wanna know where your faith is amidst the fray? Test your emotions. Ask yourself, how do I respond? Where are my emotions when bad things happen to me? Daniel keeps capped his emotions because he can trust God, it says later in the text. He's able to trust God. Now notice, spiritually, he's able to say to himself and to any and all who will listen, God is my king. How does he do it? He proves it. He prays just as he did before. Now we're not sure exactly what got him in trouble. Did they hear his prayers? Were his prayers audible? The, the text doesn't tell us, but the text tells us three things that are important. It tells us his posture, he got on his knees. His positioning, he prayed towards Jerusalem. And his practice, he did it three times daily. In fact, later on, it is the three times daily that gets him in trouble. Now these are practices praying on your knees, praying towards Jerusalem, and praying three times a day are all recorded in the Psalms. Daniel knew what the psalmist had written about praying, and he had built his practice around it. It would seem that these enemies knew that that's not how the pagans prayed. That's not how they prayed to the sun god, to the moon god, to the rain god, to the harvest god. They prayed altogether different, and so Daniel doesn't even have to pray out loud He simply has to go through the motions. Now, Daniel didn't have to do that. Daniel could have said, listen, I can pray silently. I don't need to go through the motions. I can just pray in my heart. I can pray as I'm going, and nobody will be the wiser. And I'll live, and I'll be able to live within the confines of this law. It's only 30 days. But Daniel says, I want to be identified as a follower of God, even if it means troubles come my way. Oh, if we could have a people, if your preacher could be a person who would let life go and dedicate myself and yourself to this premise that when we have opportunity to show our allegiance to Jesus Christ, that we would do so. We would do so no matter the cost. So what happens to Daniel? He's brought to the lion's den. The king doesn't want it to happen, but notice what it says in uh, verse, uh, let's see here. In verse, I'm on the wrong page, uh, in verse 14. Then the king, when he had heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. He's trying to figure out, he loves Daniel. Daniel's of great good to him. He's probably a friend of his. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue Daniel. Then the men came by agreement to the king and, to the, and said to the king, know, O king, that this is the law of the Medes and Persians. They're saying, hey, king, don't try to get yourself out of this. There's no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes that can be changed. It's gonna happen. 
So the king, he's not the smartest guy in the world. He is the king, but he's letting his underlings rule the day. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought, and he was cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, as he was being taken, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace, spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. He couldn't sleep, he couldn't eat, he couldn't do anything but think about Daniel. And I think deep down inside, because Daniel had been open about his faith and talked about how God had delivered him again and again and again. Probably told him the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace that King Nebuchadnezzar had thrown those guys into. And he started believing these stories. Could it be that Daniel's God is who Daniel says it is? And so at the break of dawn, verse and 19, the king arose and went in haste to the den of the lions. And as he came near where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? I wonder if Daniel stayed quiet for a little bit, just for a fact. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. Listen, he's even kind to this guy that threw him in the lion's den. He loves this guy. He cares for him and he blesses him. O king, live forever. How ironic. Live forever, king, unlike me who you threw into the, the lion's den yesterday to die. And he says, my God, sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I have found, been found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Listen, Dave, uh, Daniel doesn't argue. He doesn't post his testimony until God has vindicated him. He stays quiet. Now the king's angry and the king's ticked off at those who had maliciously accused Daniel. And they were brought, and this is where it gets very sad, they were brought and cast into the den of lions. Not only them, but their children and their wives. You see, when the king makes a decision, he makes a decision. And a whole lot of people die. And what a sad, sad testimony to man's maliciousness. And even before it says they reached the bottom of the den of lions, the lions overpowered them and broke their, all their bones into pieces. You know, we can stop here, and my third point's not very long, so take heart. But we could stop here and say, let's sing a song to Daniel. Daniel's the man. Daniel's the star of this show. But I want to remind you, church, that when we live faithfully amidst the fray, it is not about us, but it's about God. It's not about us, but it's about the one who's empowered us. It's not about us, but it's the one who protects us. And the rest of the passage is all about Daniel's God, not Daniel. And what we see is, is that this Daniel, this, this God who made Daniel, this God who led Daniel, this God who empowered Daniel, this God who protected Daniel is the one we should praise. And it reminds us that we are not doing this on our own, but like Daniel, we need to be willing to trust God's preeminence.
to trust God's preeminence, not only now, but forever. And I'm gonna explain this for a moment. Because what the king does is not about Daniel, it's about Daniel's God. Notice verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make this decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before Daniel. No. They are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. His God has a kingdom that will never be destroyed. How ironic, he just saw a kingdom destroyed, right? And now he's saying this God has a kingdom that will not be destroyed, that his God's dominion shall be to the end, that his God delivers and rescues, his God works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, and it is his God who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Listen to me, church, the reason why we can live faithful lives amidst the fray is not because we've got something in us, but because God allows it. And God is in it. And so yes, we make Daniel our model. We make Daniel our model. But we make King Jesus our Messiah. You see, why is this written? This text is written to remind us that we can stand amidst troubled times. We can do so even when all the world is against us. But I want you to know that this is a picture. This is a picture of King Jesus who is to come. Now don't give me a claim for this. I got this from another pastor, but I think it is brilliant. You're never gonna be able to write all this down. But can I share with you how Daniel and Jesus are connected? Can I share with you how Jesus is way better than Daniel? And why Jesus should be your savior and why Jesus should be your Lord and why Jesus was the one Daniel was looking forward to and it was King Jesus who would save Daniel from the lion's den. 10 things that Daniel and Jesus have in connection with one another. Both Daniel and Jesus had political leaders who were jealous, who drummed up false charges to arrest them and kill them. Both Daniel and Jesus were silent before their demise. Both Daniel and Jesus had senior political leaders declare them innocent and faultless. Both Daniel and Jesus had senior political leaders try to spare them the death sentence. Both Daniel and Jesus' bodies were put in a pit covered with a large stone. Both Daniel and Jesus had a, st had a stone that protected, was protected with a government seal. Both Daniel and Jesus had loving friends run to their pit early in the morning. Both Daniel and Jesus defeated death and walked away from their would-be tombs early in the morning. Both Daniel and Jesus would be raised up as second in command over their kingdom. Daniel over Medo-Persia and King Jesus over heaven. Now here's what makes Jesus better, my friends. While Daniel cheated death, King Jesus defeated death. Brothers and sisters, we can look to Daniel as our model. But never let us forget that the reason why we fight the good fight, the reason why we live the way we do, the reason why we endure trials and tribulations, and the reason why we stand when no one will stand with us isn't because another guy did it and found success. It is because King Jesus saved us and he is worth any measure of faithfulness that we can give back to him.
And so Daniel chapter six is a model for us how to live, but it is a reminder that King Jesus came and he is the one who not only will give us all we need in this life, but he will set us free in his good plan, in his good measure, as he did Daniel. And so we give Jesus all the praise, all the worship, and all the glory, amen?